one of the things that are super important is that we take assessment of what we can control and what our ultimate goal is. They're letting people know that they are able to serve them in this time of crisis. Now is the time. You're invited to join us, a movement of leaders who are willing to step into a new approach to leadership across the global landscape. This is as simple as humanity being just you and I, and stakeholders being the value you place on each decision to add or take away from humanity going forward. Hold them. Stay with us. We know people like you want to play at a different scale. And these conversations help create the opportunity for you to take this up a notch, or two, or a whole lot more. With a curiosity, let's dig deeper, behind the scenes to see the why, the what, the where, the who, and the when. From other smart humans who make smart decisions and innovate smart, sustainable solutions to narrow the gap from problem to solution. Learn in today's conversation how you can begin to do this. Come, join us. Oh my gosh, we have such a cool tribe here at the forum. I'm, you know, it's such a privilege to be opening up, you know, the possibility and the opportunity for us to not just do stuff here, but continue as we go forward. And I get the awesome privilege of having someone amazing. Well, you've seen everyone who's amazing in my journey. Um, I'm just bringing them in t- together so we get some really juicy times. Um, and Jonathan, you're one of these amazing people in my world. I think, you know, there's a lot of, you know, you do and have done that is such a world away from our worlds, but you bring such leadership into your workplace, into your personal life, into your friendships. And um, I'm excited to you bringing it. So go for it, buddy. Well, uh, man, that was a tough one to follow, Brian. Thanks for, uh, you know, setting the spiritual stage. (laughs) And everybody, thanks for participating in that conversation. That's hugely important, I think, on every level for for all of us. And so with that being said, I want to just go over what I'm, I want to talk about and make a quick introduction for me. I got to say it real quick yesterday, a little over 23 years doing the Navy uh, bomb squad. It's called the Explosive Ordnance Disposal. And I've been on every continent except for Antarctica and just been, my whole focus has luckily for me, unlike a lot of military careers, has been to save lives the whole time. So my whole job is to protect people, protect the vulnerable, is my personal mantra for, for what I do. And so I've really appreciated the opportunity to do that and be able to teach people how to like take landmines out of the ground so that their kids and their animals don't you know blow their legs off while they're trying to get water, teaching people, removing hazards from roads or wells or cities or or, uh, you know, houses underwater as well, and everything from nuclear weapons to chemical, biological IEDs and stuff like that. And so that part of my journey has, has helped create what I have. So basically, I've spent a lot of my life afraid. And so what I'm about to talk to you about is just a thought process that help me, helps me move in the fear and how to take action, how to take control of what I what I can and be able to move forward so that I don't get paralyzed and I can do what I need to do to help other people. And so just to frame that is 
I want to go through a quick scenario of what my life or a typical job would be like. And then I want to go through the thought process of how we overcome that. And then how I'll give you some examples of how we would use that thought process in a business or a nonprofit or anything, you know, just how, how you can apply it to you. And, I'll, and then I'll go over two examples of how we can do that. And so just to start with, I don't know if anybody here has seen The Hurt Locker. It's a movie about some bomb squad guys. <laughs> and that's exactly what it's like. And so just that scenario, if you haven't seen it, quickly, I'll talk to you about, imagine that, come on this story with me. Imagine that you're three months into being away from your family and your friends and your normal life. And you're in a place that you have no idea what, you know, you're, just, you're not from there. You're just not sure why you're there sometimes and you're not sure uh, if you're going to make it out. Uh, and you're not sure that everybody understands that you're there to help them. And you are only there to help protect people. And there's usually two sides to that conflict. You're trying to help, you know, whatever state or partner nation we have. And there's somebody trying to hurt the locals, which is why you're there. Now, imagine you get a call <laughs> for help. And you just get information like this, like, hey, there's a medical facility. There's been some explosions in the area. And there's some people in this medical facility who notice some weird stuff outside the windows and the door. They notice some people, uh, and they only found that out because they noticed some people that they didn't know walking around their medical facility. And they're trying to treat refugees, and they're scared to come in or out of the building because there's some explosions right down the street. And so now, you, that's all the information you have. And you have to take your team and a security element and travel to them. Some of the assumptions that we go through when we have this situation is, I'm gonna assume that everything there is dangerous. So everything there is set up by somebody who's smart, who has the capability and the determination to inflict harm on people or property. And some of those things that I roll out with, with my team is that I know that there's going to be some sort of high explosive there. And I know the hazards associated with high explosives. I know that there's going to be some sort of fragmentation because high explosives push things very fast. And fragmentation is what most damage to a human uh, happens from. It's not so much the blast if they're not close because pieces of material can travel farther than a blast wind can. And I'm going to assume that some sort of electronic mag or electromagnetic radiation, like a cell phone or, or a radio or something like that, is in the area that could set something off. And on top of that, wrapped up, there's a lot of things. But <laughs> to summarize, the last one that wraps up is a booby trap hazard, which means I know that whoever has this capability, knowledge, and determination also is probably trying to kill me because I'm the person who goes out and disarms what they set, they put all that effort in, into setting up. And so they're probably going to put a booby trap out to catch me or a victim un, unwittingly like a child or, or somebody walking down the street. And so those are the assumptions that I roll out to an area to respond with. Now imagine you get there and you've just traveled for hours inside of this giant armored vehicle with the air conditioning's broken. It's crazy hot out that kind of hot that burns your nose when you breathe and you're sweating from all the gear that you have on and you have salt in your eyes and you're just, oh man, 
you just wish that you could be back, you know, with your family or with people that cared about you. And, but you have a job to do. And so you get there and you have all these assumptions of danger. How do you move forward to help the people that need help? So when you show up, you see the type of building that it is, and you know that there's possible hazards on the windows, you know that there's possible hazards on the door, and there's a clear line of sight that's an easy path to the building. If I showed up and I just focused on disarming the hazard or to get to that building was my focus, then I would fall into the booby trap hazard uh, because normally somebody would set something up along a line of sight or an easy path to make sure that I was going to go there and place myself into the danger that they set up for me. And now I, that's a scenario of what we do. So like I said, I spend a lot of time praying. <laughs> so the fear that mounts for me has to be controlled by me and I have to take action because I can't have the rest of my team. I, I don't want to put my fear on them. I want them to have confidence that they're going to get through this safely. And I want the people that I'm helping to have confidence that we're going to get there in time to help them because I can't have them coming out and setting something off if, if I get close or anything like that. Uh, you know, they could hurt any of any member of my team just as quickly as one of my team could, could set off something. Now, the first thing that we do when we get in that situation is I'm going to get there and I'm going to observe what is known. I'm already know what the recent activity in the area is, what the current trends of, are happening. And then I'm going to, when I get on scene, I'm going to take assessment of the immediate environment. Now, like I said, there's a quick line of sight, an easy path forward. This is probably the easiest way to get there. And so I'm going to work off my assumptions and say, that's probably how somebody assumes that we're going to go based on what they think we're going to focus on. And so the whole premise of my talk here is to how, as change happens, to not fall into the booby trap and get killed due to our focus and old habits. I'll relate that again in a little bit. So once I've taken into the situation, I know that there's probably a path that they've booby trapped. What other facets of the environment are out there for us to take advantage of? I know that they probably didn't set up something over here because it's so inaccessible by everyone, but I can, I can maybe make it through that. Or there's some other things that are actually hard to get to that would keep somebody from setting up, you know, the kind of thing that we're looking for. And so I, I notate all of those things while I'm doing it. And then the second thing I concentrate on while I'm observing is what do I control in this area? And so in this situation, I control a security element. And I would say, hey, set security at this distance. And what I would do in that distance is I would calculate the high explosive hazard, the fragmentation hazard, the length of hazard of a cell phone or a radio signal or a booby trap. And I would say, hey, my team that's going to hold security and look for bad guys for me is going to be safe at this radius. And so I'm going to have them go out and set up perimeter, not with fences or anything like that, but just there keeping an eye on people acting suspicious or things like that. So I can control that area, that inside that area, I know I've eliminated, I've made it as safe as possible. There's still hazards in there because that's what we're here for, but we've controlled as much as we can. What else can I control in that situation? I can control uh, what my team exposes them to, themselves to or what I have to expose myself to. I can control how fast we move and the direction we go. And I'm taking all the things into account that I can control. One of the most important things in anything that we deal with, especially my line of work, is the serenity prayer. What can I control? 
and to have the wisdom to know the difference. Now, once I've observed everything, I'm going to evaluate the situation. I've got all the facts now. What is the ultimate objective? So if I have refugees and medical staff inside of a building trapped in the building, is my job to go down and disarm the bomb? That's one objective. And then why would I do that? Or is my job to get the people safe? Okay. Or is my job to get the people safe, reduce the hazard to life, and then bring in some remote stuff like a robot or, or something like that to come in and disarm the actual hazard to the building, the booby traps that we saw. Those are my evaluations. Those are my options. I could do the bomb and maybe if I set it off, hurt the people inside and my, myself or my team. I could try to you know somehow get the people out or I could do a combination of get the people out, make sure they're safe, evacuate the, the locals and then deal with the hazard in the safest area possible. And all of these things have to do with time and pressure of people coming in to bother you and stuff like that. So these are all situations that I'm in my evaluation phase I'm looking at. Now, what do I use to make that final determination? Because in the end, I'm not going to, my goal, and I've luckily never lost anybody. My goal is to be able to not have to go to somebody's kids and explain to them how big of a hero their parent was. And that sort of thing crushes me. Or to feel responsible for somebody who's never met their unborn child and then try to keep track of them for the rest of my life. Because I have to do all those things right now. <laughs> not, for, not for actions that I've led, but, but those things are way heavily on my heart. And so core values, like we talked about yesterday, are critical in making these decisions. My core values and the Navy's core values overlap and so everything that I do is based off of, you know, I measure those three options that I created against my core values. And then when I'm weighing those, and now I know my core values, so I've determined what my ultimate objective is, which is to, to protect the vulnerable, to save the people, the buildings can be rebuilt. So for me, once I have the people out, I'm not concerned as much with uh, collateral damage of buildings. And so that's my ultimate objective. And why I really want it is because I can protect my team better that way. I put them at minimal risk while saving the most lives. And then we'll take care of explosive hazard. Now, in my evaluation along that line of thought now, I'm looking for acceptable changes. And why are they acceptable? Which means if the enemy has seen us operate in the area and they know we set up a certain distance away from a hazard, they could put something there. So every single time I roll up, I'm making sure that my guys stop at a different distance from the hazard. What tools do I bring? Have they seen us use other tools? What procedures are they using? Because the people that want to kill you and have the knowledge are very observant. They're watching everything that you do. There's people with cell phones and they're talking through every single move that you make while you're downrange. <laughs> so the acceptable changes is what I'm going through now. Now, uh, not only for me and my procedures, but for the building and the, the, the medical facility, I know that this is a medical facility, they probably don't have a lot of them. And so I wanna preserve the building as much as possible so that we can get people back in there, we can get people treated. So these are all acceptable. I'm looking for things that are acceptable for me. If I make, you know, if I cause any damage, you know, what, what level of acceptable? But I'm measuring them all against my core values. And the life preservation is my, is my main one, protecting the vulnerable. So based on everything that we just did, I go into a decision phase and I personally ask my team for their input. Anything else they see, they know what, we're, what our procedures are. 
So what input that you have, because I'm one person with, you know, two eyes and I cannot think of everything because as the head person, I'm coordinating the, the security team. They're talking about people coming in and out all the time, trying to warn us of hazards. I'm coordinating with, uh, you know, headquarters. I'm making sure my team's ready and I'm making sure we're in a safe place. There's so many things happening that I cannot observe everything out there. So I make sure to ask my team. And one of the things that I've messed up in leadership in the past was leaving it up to a vote as I was a lower rank. Like, hey, what do you guys think? Okay, well, that's what we'll do. But that real leadership requires a decision and one person to take uh, responsibility for it and then for everybody to move towards the decision. And so I've chosen to ask for input. Thank you. Noted. This is why we're not going to do that. And this is the plan. Execute. So that decision, you know, process that I go through with my team is decided with all the other variables that we just went through. And so one of the things that I do while I'm doing that is one question I ask is what needs to be a reality for my outcome to be true? My outcome that I want is to save the people and then we'll take care of any explosive hazards after we've evacuated as many people as possible so that we can minimize any life risk and then uh, minimize any collateral building damage or anything like that. Because we're talking about an area with buildings and a city, sorry. Now, we create the plan and then we create an emergency plan. Because emergencies, you don't know what's going to happen and things change. As you move through your plan, you can notice something different. You can see a different thing that is not a reality, that you assumed was a reality. And so I know that I'm going to set up criteria that when they get met, I'm going to switch from my regular plan to an emergency plan. And my whole team needs to know what the emergency plan is. And I have to set, when I'm doing that, phases for us to observe and make that decision on what we need to change at the moment. So when we do the evaluation of everything and all that sort of thing, we keep one thing in mind. There's only one time when it's too late for a, a bomb squad guy, an explosive ordnance disposal guy, to change something. And it's when he's dead. So if you move forward with any plan and something's different, you stop right there. And you, if you notice something pointing back at your team or another hazard and you change things, you stop the whole process, you back out and you make things safe so that you can move forward with the prime objective to save the, to protect the vulnerable. Now, once I have the plan set and the emergency plan set and everybody knows what's the difference and how we're going to switch over, we're going to go ahead and take action which just means we're going to take the first step, the very first thing that we need to do, whether it's move the vehicle or get out or do something. And then we're going to go ahead and execute the next step. And the entire time, like I just said, we are going to make sure that we know that plans are going to change. Every single person is on high alert to look for something different from what we assumed and was safe. And then when that happens, we run it against our core values and we adapt and then we move forward with the prime objective. Now, in a situation like this, I would take the hardest pass path possible to set an IED up on, whether that's going from rooftop to rooftop to walk down there instead of walking down the street because people don't like other people on the roofs, you know? <laughs> so I know that's probably safe. I'm using the environment to my advantage. And when I get to the building, I'm gonna observe if the windows and the doors truly are booby trapped. And if they are, is it worth me messing with that to save their lives? Or is it better for me to open up another door, a small hole in a wall that's not booby trapped, and to get those people out, and then to safety, and then to back out and 
take care of things at our convenience because the risk to human life is, has already been taken care of. And so the decision to take a look at things, assess them, choose something different to get to the actual ultimate goal that I chose in uh, step two when I evaluated what is the ultimate goal. And that is the difference between staying there in fear and not being able to move forward or just focusing what I think my goal was when I get there and falling into a booby trap or taking care of something, accomplishing the ultimate goal and learning a new way to do it so that everybody is safe. So that's my scenario of, of how my life is. And I want you to know that I feel like it's just like your lives. Disarming a bomb is exactly the same as running a business or a nonprofit or having a, a relationship because we have assumptions that we go in with that we're careful with. We have core values and we need to know when we're, when we're following the four steps that we are taking into account what's changed. So right now, if you have a business and your uh, normal everyday store that people can't come in because of COVID and you're hurting and you want badly for, to get back to normal, our focus is on business as usual. Why, why can't we you know, be making the money that we make, having the employees we make and seeing our customers that we usually have? If I was to just go back and open up right now as soon as, they, as, soon as uh, my region or city allowed me to, would things be back to normal? And if I just kept conducting business like I used to, would I be accomplishing my goal? So how this relates to business is what I just said. The, we do not want to fall into the trap of trying to get back to business like it was. Because COVID and the riots and all that sort of thing in America, if we look hard enough and evaluate what our ultimate goal is, we can find a way to serve. As a business, we want to serve our customers. We wouldn't be in that business if it wasn't you know, something that we were passionate about, you know, whatever our mission statement is to, uh, you know, to serve people with, whether it's through you know, great fishing gear so that you can spend time with your family. Or one of my favorite examples I'll go over is uh, love through cupcakes. You know what I mean? So the final goal of the business is to be able to help the customer. We're providing a service that people need the final goal of our nonprofit is to be able to help the people we want to see served that are underserved in, in any other manner. If we are conducting business like we used to, are we exposing ourselves to unnecessary risk? And all I'm saying is that the ability to evaluate the system and adapt to what the current environment is and just really sitting down and digging into what our ultimate goal is to be able to serve the people that we want to serve is the, uh, you know, the best way to move forward once we make that decision and see what we can do better. Because some of my, uh, sorry, I'm trying to pull up a website here if I can share my screen a little bit. The best way to accomplish our, our goal that we reevaluated is to be able to adapt to the situation. And I want to give you a couple of examples of how we're doing that uh, right now. One of my favorite examples is... Actually, you know what? Any questions? I want to open up to any, any questions or comments like that. And then I'll give you some cool examples of how people are doing it. Okay. Let me see if I can share my screen. This is my favorite because I don't know about you guys, but I love cupcakes. So this company is called uh, Naked Cupcakes in Orlando, Florida. And when the COVID shut everything down, they were hurting. 
I mean, nobody is going to go to a cupcake shop in the middle of a pandemic. So what did they do? They adapted. They looked at their final goal, which was to spread love through cupcakes. And they were able to meet this goal because they were said, hey, nobody's coming to our store. If we focus on business as usual, we are going to go out of business. What can we do? These people, this lady has been able to quadruple her business because she is able to adapt. She said, my goal is to serve the people because I have a strong Facebook group. I know where they live. With the easy technology adaption, she bought a, a food truck and she wasn't sure if she could you know, operate out of it. She'd never tested the theory before. She's able to get up in the morning, make the cupcakes like she used to, you know, Facebook live them, and then say what neighborhood she's gonna be in. So you can either come out to the truck and not have to touch anybody and see she advertises it here, contactless delivery or pickup. And she was able to quadruple her business in a time of crisis because she wasn't focusing on how to getting back to business as usual. One of the things that are super important is that we take assessment of what we can control and what our ultimate goal is. For instance, right now, and uh, I'm sorry, here's her Facebook page. Let me see if I can pull it up here. All right. I didn't want you to, I didn't want to show the video, but that's a good example <laughs> of how they're actually, you know, advertising and what they're speaking about for people to, to come and get, get their stuff. They're letting people know that they are able to serve them in this time of crisis. She's adapting. But another example of what we could do as a, you know, as a company or a nonprofit is take advantage of what COVID has forced us to do. Everybody's working from home now. Do you need the overhead expense of the size of office that you have? What can you do to control that expense for your business's bottom line right now? Can we right size our office is one example. And what does that mean? If you're locked in a lease, can you sublease out those desks or those rooms to other businesses? Uh, and these are just examples of shifting, shifting your focus to meet your ultimate goal versus focusing on business as usual and falling into that booty trap. Uh, and the second example I wanted to go over really quickly is I partnered with a company called Sustainable Investment Group. And one of the, what I've done with them is, is bring my biological and chemical warfare experience to them because they manage, they help manage uh, LEED, which is a environmental protection certification uh, for buildings and well fit for uh, the employees and the customers inside the building. How healthy are you inside that building? And they manage giant downtown, giant buildings with multi-tenant or say Wells Fargo owns that building in Times Square. It's one, one company inside of it. And so Wells Fargo is their biggest customer. But all of these companies are wondering how to open up again. And so one of the ways we adapted and I helped them develop this system and it's applicable to not just them, but any business, especially if a physical one, is to do uh, three things. One, create a plan that meets your business's needs that's going to match the crisis level of your environment. So if your city mayor or the governor says, says uh, we're going into this crisis mode, you know, uh, whatever that is, uh, like right now, you know, we're just coming out of total lockdown. You know, we recommend, you know, an example, I'll give an example of zero to four phase example. If just create a plan that matches your business and you to be comfortable with. And when I say phased plan is if we are having a phase of normalcy, like going back to normal, things are awesome. We know that we're in phase zero. And what does that mean? That means everybody comes to, comes to work and acts normal. 
Now, if the governor says, hey, the fall's coming, we're expecting a second wave, that's the all you need to know is, and so you at your company say, hey, we're in phase one now. What does that mean? That means we're going to pay more attention to washing hands and to get our PPE ready and our supplies to clean the place. All right. That means in phase one, we just check it. Great. Now we elevate to phase two. There's a higher incidence in the region and you, your company knows that in that case, we're going to go ahead and rearrange because we're in phase two. We're going to rearrange the desks. So we have six foot of spacing. We're going to go ahead and put the hand sanitizer by the door and we're going to take the precaution to keep everybody uh, safe. Now, if the city is in a heightened level of uh, crisis, you can say, hey, we're going into phase three, which means for our office, we're going to go ahead and split into shift work. This team works these days and this team works these days. So if somebody gets sick, we're not losing the whole business. Or we have hours for the most vulnerable in the morning, and then the rest of the team comes in in the afternoon. And that these you know, cleanliness procedures are followed afterwards. And this is the PPE we're going to wear. So we define these things to match them to our business. And then total lockdown mode would be level four. That means that we have essential personnel coming in and that these people are going to work from home and that everybody knows the procedure. They know who's essential. They know what they're going to do, what path they're going to follow, what PPE they're going to wear and how they're going to clean up after themselves before they leave or have the team or mark a space that they were in. So that can be cleaned after they leave. And the people at home know exactly what's expected of them. They have the equipment that they need to uh, operate from home. And everybody is ready inside of your organization to respond to the different levels of crisis. And it's all about overcoming the fear. Like I said, when I first feel things, I'm like, oh, man, what do I do? This is responses for dummies like me to be able to overcome that fear and make sure that my employees feel confident in their safety to come to work and to still be able to serve our customers. And then on top of that, I'll get to it in a minute, but the, uh, you know, our customers feel safe to come and do conduct business with us. So once we have those, that plan, the next plan is to gather the supplies we need. We know we, if we have a three month, you know, worst case scenario for uh, lockdown, we have three months worth of PPE for each phase. We have the chemicals and stuff like that. We need to clean up with, uh, you know, in storage for each phase. Then the next step after that is to practice our phases. We don't have to spend all day doing it, but we're going to practice putting it on so everybody feels comfortable using it. We're going to practice getting the chemicals out so everybody knows how to clean properly so that everybody, like I said, has the confidence and zero fear because they're controlling their situation and you as the leader gave them the power to be able to deal with it. Now, after you've got the PPE, you have the plan, you have your, your PPE and you've practiced it, the next most important thing is to talk about it. Like I said, the the Naked uh, Cupcake has contactless delivery on their website. They know that some vulnerable people want cupcakes and they are talking about how they are able to, uh, you know, serve those exact people. So if you want to have the convenience of having, uh, you know, not have to talk to anybody because some people are introverts and just pick up your cupcakes and walk away or you want cupcakes and you don't want to get sick, I know that these people are going to be able to do something. I'm going to have them, you know, take care of my kid's birthday cake. I'm going to go there for all my treats. I'm going to have my friends go there because I'm probably not the only vulnerable person I know. So those four things are ways to adapt our nonprofits and our businesses 
not to focus on business as usual and fall into the booby trap because right now there's businesses out there that are open and they are hurting because nobody is coming is coming to see them because people one don't know they're open and two if they do they're not sure if they're going to get sick of there it's the fear that's paralyzing your customers so if we do these you know simple steps we can help overcome the fear of our employees they're going to live and prosper working with you and our customers because they want to come to somebody who is taking care of them talk about every phase of your preparation they want to know and they want to have confidence that they want to do business with you and that's summary summing it up i'd love to answer questions on specific stuff amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode make sure you subscribe leave awesome ratings and reviews our hope is that this product creates a new awareness activates ownership to what is next and a curiosity for the need to be a part of the change to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards if you want to further your journey with us join us at our next global human intelligence forum or apply to our next leaders movement parlay both links are in the show notes we appreciate you help us to build a tribe and make humanity as stakeholders to achieve this together recommend this podcast to leaders innovators pioneers future thinkers and movement changers Big love. See you on the next Global Human Intelligence Podcast.